Thank you. I, uh, my wife and I do have a lot of experience preaching to teenagers, so... And one of my favorite things at my old youth ministry, we had just on the left, second row, a young girl with Tourette's. And that was just such an incredible blessing for me in our messages because anytime there was a perfect moment for it, she knew what to do. And so if you got Tourette's today, man, just let it out. It's all good. <laughs> and it's so excited to be in December, Christmas lights. Ben doesn't have a mustache anymore. It's a great month. <laughs> It's a great month. <laughs> Lord God, I pray today as my wife and I share this message we've got in our hearts that you would just stir something in all of us. Stir, stir the fact that we can do so much for people, that we can love people, and there are so many out there to be loved. Amen. Whew. I'm excited. Just want to Jackie, how you doing? Been, Jackie was a youth leader in my old um, youth ministry, and I just wanted to say, I just I looked over and saw you worshipping, and man, I've missed that sight. <laughs> and I just wanted to say to you, man, like, so, so many of us spend so much time trying to, like, run away or, like, carry the baggage of our past and our upbringing and family and all sorts of stuff. But I really believe as how much you love Jesus and you keep looking forward to him, Jesus is doing miracles behind you. He's doing miracles in your past. He's doing miracles in your family. And you, there's going to be times when you look back and you're like, wow, I, have, I am so much bigger and stronger and have so much more to give to this situation because it, it's going to be because of your love of Jesus. So I just want you to know that, man. You don't have to be scared of the past because Jesus is doing a miracle behind you. I love you, man. All right. <clears throat> so... 14th of January, 2009, 14 days into the new year, I had some people over at my house. One of them, a girl named Ariel, would become a significant part of my life in the future. And this girl came up to me with all her sass and boldness and strength. And she said to me, do you know we've hung out every day this year, Tim Blackman? 14th of January, two weeks straight, we've hung out every day. And in that moment, I lost all sense, pushed her out the door, closed it, pulled the curtain over and walked away. I pushed her away because in that moment, I realized something. This girl had a piece of my heart and I wasn't ready In that moment, I lost absolutely all sense when I realized she had a piece of my heart. And it took me months of pushing her away, (laughs) pushing her away physically, emotionally, to realize that I was going to lose her and I needed help. I needed to stop pushing her away. So there was this couple in our church. They weren't pastors. They weren't ordained. They were just a great, loving Christian couple in our church. And so I suggested Ariel go speak to them. On their first meeting, they realized I was the problem and I had to be involved. (laughs) So, every Thursday for two years, we would be at their house for tacos, 
tears, and tea. Every Thursday for two years, I have sobbed face down into their carpet more times than their carpet would like to remember. <laughs> they needed to get a professional cleaner in to get rid of the snot. It was incredible how messy those times got. But thanks to their hospitality, prayers, wisdom, love, tacos, tears and tea, I stopped pushing Ariel away and started pulling her closer. And I attended church every Sunday. I was leading a youth ministry at the time. But their house, that family, that was the ministry I needed. We've got a photo of um, Warwick up there. He's an incredible man at our wedding. He, um, he always spoke love and faith. And he spoke to my future and he told me who I was. And the reality was he was lying. But the truth of the matter <laughs> is he had incredible insight and incredible faith. And most of the things I've lived up to. In John 13, 34, there's this incredible verse, a new command, Jesus speaking to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A lot of love one another's in there. And this is an incredible message, like in white Christianity, we tend to read the Bible and just grab beautiful statement pieces and put them up on our walls and put them as posts on Instagram. But it's so powerful that we have to understand the context and what's actually going on here. So this chapter, it's a lot like this verse here, Jesus saying, love one another. This is the meat in a betrayal sandwich. Just before this verse, Jesus tells Judas, you're going to betray me. Just after this verse, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. So when it comes to Jesus telling us to love one another, he's not expecting it to be easy. He's just had two of the toughest conversations you can have with people. Jesus knew that loving people was going to be hard. He knew we would be betrayed we would be let down. He knew that we would sometimes be involved in toxic relationships. Or Judas was stealing money. Toxic relationships. Judas sold him out. Toxic relationships. His response right after he knew the reality of Judas walking out on him is, hey guys, we've got to love one another. Not, you know, we've got to think about toxic people in our lives and make sure we just push them away as far as we can. No. The meat, next time you read this verse, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus knew the pain in that statement. Jesus knew the heartache in that statement. Jesus knew the hardship in that statement. That's why he said it right there. A meat in a betrayal sandwich. You know, loving people is how we show that we belong to Jesus. And it's not just out of our strength. It's not out of our, me and my wife's strength that we love people. We are constantly going back to Jesus going, I need more strength. 
I need more strength. Introduce my incredible wife, Ariel. So glad I stopped pushing her away. Thank you. Thank you so much. Did you catch that super cute wedding photo of us? I'm sorry that you guys missed it. There it is. Oh, so sweet. Um, I, this message that Tim and I have come with today is really just an uh, underline and bold of what Ben shared last week. I was so blessed by your message last week and so blessed by the family that you and Amy have created for us here, which has been such a blessing to us over the last year. Um, and so we, we sort of have come with the question today, okay, so it's really hard. How do we do this? How do we be family to each other? How do we really deeply love each other? And we've come up with three things. They all start with T because Ben loves things to all start with the same letter. So, you know, I'm honouring my leader. So tacos, tears and tea is what... Is what um, we've got today. So with Tim, you're going to get cool stories and inspirational vision, but I'm the diagram girl. So I've got a Venn diagram for you to explain this. Okay. So I, if you don't know, I'm a social worker. I've worked with homeless people, um, women involved in the sex industry, transgender people. So I've, I've come across a lot of brokenness and a lot of toughness um, in the work that I do and in my life. Um, so this is what I've noticed, if you're interested. This is People who act and think the way we want them to, okay? And then the other group is people who are different, lost, and or hurting. In my experience, this is usually two separate groups. Now, luckily, as you can see, we do have a little bit of overlap, which is people who are easy to love, okay? So people who need us to love them and people who are going to respond and act the way that we want them to if they are both of those groups, they are easy to love. Now, here we're just going to highlight um, the people that God specifically asks us to love. Oh, that's awkward. Uh, because there's a lot of people in this circle who are not going to act, respond, and think the way that we want them to when we love them. So... This might be really hard, what we're trying to do here, create a family. So what do we do? See, Tim and I, since we received that love and discipleship and that messiness, we took all our messiness to that couple, um, we've embarked on this journey of trying to do this for other people, often failing, but trying and trying again. And this, I'm going to share with you just quickly some of the things that we've learned along the journey. Because the thing is, loving others is not always easy and it's not always nice, but it's always what God asked us to do. So the first one is, my first um, thing is, you need tacos. Have you ever heard Christians talk about, let's break bread together? Um, See, Jesus was all about this. He was always eating with people. There's lots of stories about Jesus eating food and going to parties um, and creating food for massive parties. Um, not, not as many stories about Jesus in the temple and in the church, um, but lots of stories about him eating with people. You know, Zacchaeus is a story about a um, chief tax collector, and he was rich, which means in those days he was oppressing his community. He was a bad guy. He was a corrupt person. And um, he's up a tree because he's short and he's trying to see Jesus, and Jesus comes along and he's like, hey, 
Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to come to your house tonight. We're going to break bread together. And everyone's like, Whoa. Here, here he goes again. Here Jesus goes again, eating with sinners. Why does he's, it says, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus was always associating himself with people that everybody else believed didn't deserve to be associated with Jesus. Um, and they went and they broke bread together. Breaking bread with somebody, sharing a meal in a cafe or in your home says, I associate myself with you. I want to provide for you and I allow you to provide for me. I want to share my blessings with you. In white Australian culture, we're not so great at this because we're so worried about our houses being too messy to invite people over. But what it says in white Australian culture to share a meal with somebody, it says, I want to know you and value you outside of this social box which stops you from getting too close to me. It is a powerful thing to do. You know, in Arab culture, bread is sacred. One time I sort of wiped, I was eating Lebanese, which is my favorite food, and um, we were, I sort of wiped my like filthy hands on the leftover Lebanese bread, and I had a Lebanese person say to me, you can't do that, what are you doing? And I'm like, there's no more serviettes. Nobody wants the bread, we're done. And she's like, the, you, you've got to understand, Ariel, the bread, the bread is sacred. The bread represents our blessings. The bread represents our life that we share together. You're like, you can't just wipe your mess on it and discard it. You know, in, in Arab culture, when a new baby comes to your house, not just one house, all the community's house, every single house, the new baby comes in and as it comes over the threshold, they run over with Lebanese bread and they break it over its head. Um, a Lebanese friend told me a story about, you know, one time they couldn't find any Lebanese bread and the new baby was coming over. And so they're like, Crip, find something. And they get chips and cookies and they're like breaking the chips and cookies over the baby's head because it represents, I, you belong to me. I want to share my blessings with you. I want to provide for you. That's what it means to share a meal with somebody. It's an incredibly powerful thing. Um. <laughs> I, um, I heard a story one time about a guy that got saved in America into a church out of a gang lifestyle. And he thought that once he got baptized, that was like his initiation into this new Christian, Jesus-loving gang. And they were going to be family now. So he got baptized and he was so excited. I'm, I'm in now. I'm part of the family. And he was crushed when he discovered that he got baptized, but then nobody was there for him. Nobody wanted to get messy with him. Nobody had his back the way that people in his gang has, had had his back. And that devastates me. Imagine if new Christians came into our church and we were running up to them with all of our blessings going, you're mine, I will provide for you. I, I want to own you. I want you to be a part of who I am. Imagine if we were crawling over each other trying to invite them over to our place for lunch. Wouldn't that be a powerful thing? We, um, we learnt this by feeding lots of mouldy people. We, in our last um, life group, yeah, one of them has come out of the woodwork today and arrived. We, in our last life group, um, we had a big group of teenagers and a lot of them were, um, were mouldies and they didn't want to make eye contact with, with me or talk to me and definitely not talk to me about their feelings. And I was like, oh, why don't they like me? So I just kept feeding them because it was the only thing that seemed to speak to them. I would give them like huge bowls of noodles this big and they would eat it with their hands. Um, They would make toasted sandwiches of Nutella and cheese. Yuck. 
hundreds of the things. They would just eat and eat and eat. And, you know, after months and months of months of me spending so much money on food, I was like, we're just not getting through to them. They still don't sort of talk to me. They barely make eye contact with me. Like, what are we, we're just not getting through to them. And then one day we did this um, activity where I got them to write on post-it notes each of the most significant things that had happened in their life. And every single one of those boys wrote meeting Tim and Ariel on one of their post-it notes. Every single one. And I, we, I cried, other people cried that night. There was lots of tears as we realised that this was meeting us and coming under our leadership was significant to them. They just didn't know how to explain it to me except for eating my food. <laughs> you know, I've noticed this thing. Tim and I have moved over interstate twice um, through God asking us to go different places and to different ministries. Um, and the people that we've stayed in touch with are the ones that we had in our home, breaking bread with us, because that's what makes people family. The reason why this is called tacos, just FYI, trust me, I have tried everything. The cheapest, quickest way to feed lots of people is tacos. Trust me. Trust me. That's why you need tacos. All right. And the next one is um, tears. My favorite verse in the Bible, if I have a life verse, it's in my Insta bio, so you know this is legit. My life verse would probably be 14, Proverbs 14.4 which is this, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So in other words, so, okay, this is not the only poo joke in the Bible. It is my favorite poo joke in the Bible. Basically, what it's saying is, if you have no stuff, your house, your life, it'll stay clean. It'll be orderly. It'll be comfortable. But if you want an abundant harvest, you're going to have to deal with the, right? And, you know, abundant harvests, abundant crops throughout the Bible that is used as a metaphor for bringing in the lost. If we want to bring in the lost, we're going to have to deal with the Right? We're going to have to have them in our stable, messing up our home, messing up our lives. There will be tears. I'm, I texted one of my best friends and I said, can you help me find a story of when I love somebody so much that it hurt and it was really worth it? And she wrote back, it's never worth it. <laughs> and I wrote back, you're right. <laughs> because um, there's this, I want to share with you this, this verse. Sorry to the media team, you're going to have to go back to back for me. Um, It's when Jesus asks us to love our enemies. It goes, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit of that is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is 
that to you, for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. For your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You know, I am not a family just because of my relationship with the father, Tim. My children's relationship with their father, Tim. We are a family because of who we are to each other. And so this is how we be to each other, family. We love those that are sometimes hard to love. So there will be tears. You know, even Jesus, when he... um, had a, he had a group of friends that, and it says in the Bible that he loved them dearly. So they were Jesus' mates. And one of them was gravely ill and they said, Jesus, come on, Lazarus is sick. You've got to come and heal him. And Jesus didn't go. And it said when Jesus finally arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And um, Lazarus' sister ran up to Jesus and said, why weren't you here? And it says Jesus was deeply troubled. Jesus was affected negatively in his emotions by other people. It says he was deeply troubled. And on the way to the tomb, he wept. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. He wept. There will be tears. When I was first a youth leader, um, I was just in my second year of uni doing social work. And I, um, I had one of these youth girls and she terrified me. She was terrifying. She had piercings everywhere. She was Aboriginal. She was angry. She had dark black hair with an emo fringe. This is showing how old I am. Um, And she just, she came, but she was just so guarded. And it took me like four or five months to realize that she was actually homeless. And she was couch surfing in one of the houses of my other youth girls. And um, she opened up to me and said, it's not safe for me there. Um, And we talked about that and I said, I've got to get you out of there. So I just got in my car and I went to that house and I said, come on out. And she walked out with all of her worldly possessions half filling one garbage bag and got into my car. And I took her back to my house. And over the next month, she ate and ate and ate so much food. It's like she'd never eaten before. And... um, and we went through this process, okay, can somebody in the church take her? What are the options? You know, being learning social work, I knew enough about the refuge system to know that that was not going to be okay for her. <clears throat> and so we went through this process. And in the end, I pulled my whole family into um, my parents' room. And I said, family meeting, I want to keep her. <laughs> and, um, and the Holy Spirit moved on my family. And they said, yeah, yeah. And you know what? She was, she was the same age as my little sister, We had to figure out how to put her in school. We had to drive her to school. I had this broken girl who'd come from this abusive background in our house, eating all our food, not talking to us about what's going on. And sometimes she'd just like go walk about, like she'd just go for days and we wouldn't know where she was and my mum's freaking out and I'm trying to date this guy called Tim and he's coming over and she's like peeking through the bushes trying to see what's going on with us because she'd never seen a Christian relationship before. She was trying to suss us out. And, you know, our stable got messy. It was messy. There was tears. It was hard. 
can I say it was worth it? She's not walking with Jesus right now. So I didn't get out of it what I wanted, what I believed God had asked me to do it for. But it's, this verse says, do it and assess whether it will be worth it and then do it. <laughs> it says, if somebody takes your cloak, give them your tunic too. And this is a story for another time, but that wasn't the first time that, that wasn't the last time that I brought somebody home and said, we're keeping them. <laughs> and God was preparing me for what was to come. So how do we do this then? If it's going to hurt us, if it's going to break us, if it's going to mess up our life, how do we do it? With tea. Because after all, we are all teapots. Let me explain. Later in my journey, I was working with homeless people um, full-time. I was a full-time youth pastor and I had people living in our home that was suicidal and it was just, it was crazy. I was not okay. I burnt out. That taught me how to never burn out again. And here's the tip. I am not, it turns out, the saviour of the universe. I know, it's obvious to you, right? It sounds obvious, but sometimes when we have somebody right in front of our face, it's hard to know that they will be okay if we don't make it okay. There's two options. We either let people get close enough to us to hurt us and freak us out and make us worry, or we push all those people away and we choose not to love them at all. And then there's this third option, which I have... I am still trying to figure out, which is you, sometimes all you have to offer people is tea. Tea is a thing in my house. We have had lots of tea. I like putting it in a teapot because that means you're committed to the whole pot <laughs> and it can keep going. You know, it's a shared thing, but it's about creating space. We're going to have tea, but actually you're going to sit at my table for a long period of time, becoming warm and hydrated. It's about holding space for people. See, the hard thing about this message is you can't preach this message about loving people without being a hypocrite. I have failed spectacularly in trying to do this. Spectacularly. We are imperfect people attempting the most perfect and worthy cause in history imperfectly. But I will keep attempting it. Because even Jesus got stressed out. Even Jesus got overwhelmed And he sort of went away to pray. He went to solitary places. He was always trying to get rid of the crowd so that he can reconnect with God and recharge. Because Jesus knew this thing that I am still learning. We are just vessels of what God's doing. We are just the teapot and the Holy Spirit and God's love. That's the tea. That's the tea. We are just the teapot. We just hold space. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, We have this treasure in jars of clay. We are the jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. We are always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. We are the teapots and he is the tea. 
And it's good tea. It is good. Um, in China, they have these incredible old, like these ancient way of making teapots. I've got a photo of one of them. <clears throat> and they're called Yixing teapots. If you're Chinese, I'm sorry that I said that wrong. I'm sure I did. Jackie? Oh, good. Okay, I, I did it well. Okay. Um, Yixing teapots. And these are jars of clay. They're teapots made of clay. They are earthenware vessels similar to the type we're talking about in the Bible. The thing about clay is it's a porous material. It absorbed whatever is inside of it. So Chinese people, they only make one kind of tea in these incredibly precious teapots because the tea flavor soaks into the clay and it makes the tea richer and richer as it gets older. It gets better at making tea the more tea is in it. The thing about the, in, in Chinese culture, it's okay to have a cracked teapot because it shows the life of the object. It shows its depth, its oldness, and they celebrate those cracks and they keep using those things. And the other thing about these teapots is that they are incredibly precious ancient objects, except you cannot leave them on the shelf in a museum behind a glass door. You have to use them to preserve them. And so they take out these teapots, which are so precious, and they make tea with them. They have to. Because the tea flowing through them and all over them is what preserves them. It keeps the clay moist and stops it from turning to dust. We are the teapot. We can't get left on the shelf We are our best self when we're being cracked, when we're having that tea flow through us. We are doing the most noble, attempting the most noble cause in history imperfectly. But it's okay because we are just the teapot. If there's one thing that I've learned in my short years of working with broken people is that the world really needs us. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about us in general, Christians. I'm talking about city church. So a lot of you have been in this church for a long period of time and you don't realize the incredible gems that are in this community because you don't have that ability to compare. There are families in this church that have such a wealth of knowledge and love and generosity, such a wealth of relationship in this room, so much strength. I just, Tim and I are just so excited about what's going to happen as our stables get more and more messy. Because this is a big stable. There is a lot of capacity here to love broken and hurting people. As long as we can remember that we're just the vessel and he's the tea. I'm just going to invite Tim back up to pray with us. Thank you, Jesus. You know, this message has been about encouraging us that we can be such an answer to loving other people. With however much you love, you think you, your family might have to give. That once we start to give it, that teapot will start to mature. And that flavor of the Holy Spirit, that flavor of love is going to get stronger and stronger. 
But right now, I have to give you the opportunity because all the love my wife and I have to give to people, it is just us attempting to get to the love of Jesus, attempting to give out the good, pure, and perfect love of Jesus. And so every week in this church, we give you an opportunity to say yes to that love because it is amazing, it is beautiful, and it is pure. And Jesus loves each and every one of us. And despite our past, despite our history, despite what we've done or what's been done to us, Jesus loves you so much. So I encourage you, can you close your eyes for me? I want to ask this question if you're here today. And you want to say yes to that love of Jesus. You know, you want to accept his love. Maybe it's the first time, maybe you've done it before and you feel like you've lost that love. I encourage you, you haven't lost that love. You've just stepped out of it. You've stepped away from it, but it is chasing you down right here and right now. If you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray this prayer and all the Christians in this place are going to pray it with me. And I want you to pray it from your heart as you accept Jesus in your life. Repeat this prayer. Jesus, I say yes to your love. I say yes to your salvation. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Amen. If that was you, if you, um, you said yes to that prayer for the first time or the 18th time, one of the staff team or in the, the guest lounge up the back, we'd love to welcome you, say hi, figure out how we can have you over for tea. We're just going to worship.